Welcome to Military Network Radio, where we'll bring dynamic interviews and fresh information about topics affecting your quality of life at each stage of your military service. Join us each week for information of value that improves your outlook, actions, and encourages each member of the family. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Everyone serves, and together we make a difference. And now, here's your host, Linda Crater. Good morning, and welcome to Military Network Radio. We are very glad that you have joined us today. I am joined by my marvelous co-host, Justin Constantine. How are you this morning, Justin? I'm great. I'm glad we're here. I'm glad we're here, too. I think there's so many people that feel like this is a fresh start, and yeah. it's a, a really good feeling. So I'm I'm delighted that we're starting off our year with you know, good content. I think we've really worked hard, you know, during our time together to create shows that talk about things that maybe people know about, but sometimes they don't, and to spread awareness and, and give new ideas and help people to help other people. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, and you're right, though. Um, in With a 24-hour news cycle and so many inputs, it's easy to know a little bit about a lot of different things. But that's why I like on this show, we take a deep dive into particular and discrete topics. You know, that's you, you just summed it up because you're right. Um, oftentimes, there are very surface knowledge of things. Yeah. And, and today, we're going to be talking about a, a very difficult condition called ALS or amyotropic lateral sclerosis. Um, it's more commonly known as Lou Gehrig's disease, and most people are familiar, I think it was two summers ago, with the Ice Bucket Challenge, where they were raising funds, research into ALS. And this is a, a terribly insidious condition. I will tell you, I have a personal connection to this. I lost my mother to ALS in my 20s, and they've come a long way since... Uh, it's about 30 years ago now, um, when they had no way to diagnose it. These days they can diagnose it, which I'm not sure is anything more than a mixed blessing um, because it's a very tough disease. It's a progressive neurodegenerative condition. So if you picture your nerves, the nerves start deteriorating from the ends and moving in. So usually you feel the effects from the extremities coming inward. In my mother's case, it was a foot drop at first, and, and then it moved very progressively inward. But ALS is one of those diseases where your body begins to show these effects, but your mind stays sharp. And yeah. You, you become trapped in your in your body. So it, it, it's a very difficult condition to diagnose, uh, but it, it's possible now better than it was then. Difficult to live with and very difficult to watch someone you love because it's amazing. But I will say one piece of hope that I loved was it gave me time to use that time wisely. You know, it wasn't like a, a car accident where someone has suddenly gone and you wish you could say things. The, the one be in the moment of, of losing someone to ALS for me was that I got to say goodbye. I have zero regrets about how we were able to talk about everything. Yeah. And um, that's important, don't you think? Oh, for sure. I mean, how, how many people have gone through what you described and say, oh, 
my last conversation. I could have said this, I could have said that. And, and then you, you live with that forever thinking, I just wish I could have had a peaceful, restful goodbye. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS is, as you described, a very tough, a tough uh, condition. But there, if there is any silver lining, it's that, I, I suppose. I think so too. And that's how I've come to take it with peace these days, because it is a tough one. And we'll talk more about it. I think it's amazing, though. And the reason we're bringing it to Military Network Radio is because the prevalence is two times that in the military population of what it is in the civilian population. And the cause is still unknown. And this was identified more than 135 years ago. The, you mean ALS was diagnosed? Yes. Okay, yeah, wow. Yes, and, and so it's amazing. It is a presumptive condition in the military population. And it, it began showing up a lot more after uh, the first Persian Gulf War in 1991. That's when the symptoms became more known and when there was more attention paid to it. But it is an amazing disease that has different courses of uh, longevity uh, or duration, I should say, in different family members. Um, In my case, my mother's was textbook from diagnosis to death. It was four years. Mm -hmm. And in others and in our guest today, it's moving much more slowly. And Mm -hmm. the most famous person with it, other than obviously Lou Gehrig, would be Stephen Hawking, who has had it forever. Um, But that's the that's the exception, not the rule. Yeah. And um, it, it's just very, very difficult. So I, I'm just really pleased we're going to talk about this today. I was asked to talk about this by our guest. And I, as you can imagine, I, I took pause with it at first mm-hmm. and then said, no, this is really very important to talk about. And I think it's important for our listeners who are unfamiliar with it to, to learn more about it, because the outreach into the community is very important. While people understood the Ice Bucket Challenge was raising funds, you may have noticed that there was no knowledge given about what is Lou Gehrig's disease, what is ALS, what does it look like, feel like, and, and how can you help? But if, if you start paying attention, you will notice that it is out in the population more than you know, and more people have... ALS than you think of. Our producer, by the way, lost his grandmother to ALS. So it's a condition that once you pay attention to it, you realize yeah. it's out there. So I, I would love, I'm sorry, Justin, I go ahead. I was to say, as far as the uh, ice buck challenge, mm-hmm. like, I know it was, it was good for awareness and, and anytime we can have people talking about something like this, it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. But um, and I, I didn't do the ice bucket challenge. I just donated money directly because I just felt like it was there were so many folks who were just excited to dump some ice water on themselves and to post on Facebook and tag people. And I felt like if I asked them, you know, you took you took twenty minutes out of your day to do that. Can you give me twenty minutes worth of information about the disease? They they couldn't do that. So it just I don't know. It didn't. I love you for saying that because I did not participate in it the same way that you did. And I, I just, I questioned it. Now, my, um, 
my children obviously knew what they were doing it for and mentioned yeah. it when they did their little videos. But but I agree with you, and and that's where I think that we're doing a public service today. And I, I just really hope that we raise awareness of what this yeah. is because it does deserve research. It does deserve a, a cure, if at all possible, and prevention. And unfortunately, we still know very little about it. And um, let's talk to our guest. Absolutely. Okay. Um, we are going to be talking to Mary Han Ward today. And Mary and I met um, on the Veteran Caregiver Facebook page, but also at the Caregiver Summit where Mary was a panelist in November. She is an accomplished author and photographer, an educator, a Dole Foundation fellow, and she really makes an effort to spread awareness of ALS to the population at large, and particularly in the military, and she's the one that requested we do this show. And Mary, thank you for all our conversations and uh, beforehand, and we are delighted to welcome you to Military Network Radio this morning. Well, thank you for having me and the willingness to discuss this difficult topic I think it, it tends to be a difficult topic for people to hear about because it is a fatal disease. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I think it creates sort of that um, feeling that people don't really want to scratch the surface of it. And I think when we deal with diseases like this, we like to be able to talk about it. We, we don't necessarily want to talk about it to, with everybody about how we feel about it, but we do like when people ask us about it. You know, that's a very good point, because I think when there is something difficult to handle like this, and it is difficult, let's face it, um, people are afraid to scratch the surface because you might actually be honest with them, and then they don't know what to do with that. Has that been your experience? Yes, I think sometimes they're almost embarrassed at the emotions, because I'm willing to talk about it with anybody um, Mm -hmm. who will listen to me. I want people to know <laughs> because I want a cure for it. I can't stand seeing all these people that I know suffer from this disease and their families. And so I definitely want people to listen to me. And sometimes it's probably more difficult for them to listen to me because I don't always cry. I just, I'm pretty matter of fact. Because you have to be, otherwise you have to be. Right? You, you do, but, but it is very, very important. And we're coming up on a break in, a, in about two minutes, but, but if you could start us off and then we'll continue after the break. Talk a little bit about your personal experience and prioritize, if you could, the things that we want to share during this hour. Okay, well, I think like the first um, important piece is talking about that impact of diagnosis. You touched on it a little bit earlier And I think that's the first big hurdle that we all have to get over with ALS because um, there's no definitive test for ALS. Um, It's a diagnosis of exclusion. And for some people, it's just faster than others toward that diagnosis. In our case, it was a long time before we hit that diagnosis. And do you recall the first time you noticed something was wrong? Yes. He, um, Tom is um, the esteemed husband here. And he, um, he had, <laughs> nice the, he had um, fasciculations and the fasciculations are uh, spontaneous contractions that affect the muscle fibers. Mm-hmm. Um, some people like to think of them as twitching, 
which would be um, sort of underestimating the impact of the fasciculations. Ultimately, the fasciculations lead to death of the muscle fibers. Mm -hmm. um, so for some people, they're not so great to have the twitching um, and more importantly, the fasciculations. Understood. And you know, as I said, we're coming up on this quick break and we will go further into that because everybody's first point of knowledge um, is different. And sometimes you don't put it together for a while. So I think you're, you, I really appreciate you being so open and honest about this. We will go on a very short break. And when we come back, we will continue with what this looks like, feels like, and how you can support those with it. We're listening to Military Network Radio and we'll be right back. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. The Woohoo Radio Network presents the Diva Download with Tracy and Tasha. If you think Diva is all about attitude and drama, think again. The Diva Download is the premier online radio program where girls of all ages, shapes, sizes, and colors get together to redefine what it means to be a diva so that all girls can discover their inner diva and develop a healthy sense of self-worth and self-esteem. Being a true diva means you're diverse, involved, value-driven, and active. That's today's diva. If you want to celebrate the girl in your life through education and encouragement, empowerment, and entertainment. Join us every week on Tuesdays from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time and celebrate the essence of being a girl only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. can burn as many calories in 45 minutes of yard work as in 30 minutes of aerobics. Yard work is a total body workout consisting of pushing, pulling, lifting, and carrying. Using a push mower alone can burn 300 to 500 calories in an hour. Raking and bagging with a booking fork, that's a fork often used in gardening, burns about 330 calories per hour. Cleaning and digging with the dibble, that little hand spade, can burn approximately 400 calories an hour. Stay fit by horb gorbling. That's just puttering around the yard. To me, a perfect summer day is when the sun is shining, the birds are singing, and the lawnmower is broken. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. We are so glad to continue our discussion with Mary Han Ward about ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease in the military. And Mary, before the break, we were talking about the first signs of it. And could you us along your diagnostic odyssey as you received a diagnosis and put together the fasciculations and perhaps some other symptoms to come up with the ALS diagnosis? Sure. So, I, I mean, I don't have exactly a year when he um, started showing, di uh, you know, issues and problems. I, I just know that he started having those fasciculations and some of them were um, 
huge. There were big fasciculations in his arms, um, in particular his left arm and his hands, and his hands would um, contract. We first, he was first tested for um, carpal tunnel syndrome um, sometime around 2006, 2007, um, and it was not carpal tunnel, and it was a, an odd EMG. That's the, um, the nerve conduction test that they do, and we had that done at Duke. We used to live up in Durham, so we, that's where he got his medical care. Um, and there was concern there that the EMG was not correct, but there still was not a definitive diagnosis. So we went to neurology there and, oh gosh, I don't even know how many tests they ran on him and how many EMGs he had. We went out to Carolina Medical Center because they have an ALS center there. Um, we eventually went up to New York um, and the neurologist there shared that he thought Tom might have had a touch of ALS, and I, I kind of couldn't wrap my head around that as a diagnosis. <laughs> I wasn't really sure we uh, touch of right. ALS. Um, I don't know if we, there was like some protection mode where he didn't really want to say, and we came home. We finally ended um, with our last doctor visit who was going to give us a diagnosis, and that was um, Dr. Bedlack. He is the chief of neurology at the Duke ALS Center, and he is also the chief of neurology at the Durham VA. Um, and that was June of 2010. Actually, it was just on our anniversary. Um, it was June 20th, 2010. And we, we had been married for 30 years at that on that day. And he kind of looked at all his notes and looked at him, and he said, I definitely think that you have ALS. And I think you have a slowly progressive form of it, but I definitely think that you have ALS. And that, you know, that's really hard to hear. Yes. Um, yes. Even though you kind of think that that's where you're going with it. I want to explain something to our listeners. I, I think that um, your, your diagnosis, Odyssey, the problem with ALS is you have to rule other things out. It, it's not that, as you said, there's no definitive way to find things. So they rule things out. It takes a lot of tests. Um, but in terms of ALS, it, it it's just a mystery disease still. As we mentioned earlier, 135 years later, it's just not known. So you were very fortunate to have knowledgeable care because the difference between MS and ALS is with MS, if you picture a nerve and it has a covering over it, a sheath, the myelin sheath. In MS, the myelin sheath is what deteriorates. So very slow, you can go into remission, etc. With ALS, that entire nerve begins to deteriorate. So it's, it's a lot more definitive in its actions, mm. and it does make a difference. I remember praying uh, for MS versus ALS. And in those days, this was 30 years ago again, that it just wasn't as well known at all. So, Justin, do you have a question? Well, yeah, we, uh, Mary, you were just talking about it was difficult to get that prognosis from the doctor. And so what was the personal impact on you at the time and, and how has that changed over the last six years? Mm, that's a really great question. Um, I think initially we sort of just went home and had lunch. We couldn't really talk too much about it. Yeah. Um, and then we put into action um, uh, not having a discussion with us between each other, but how we were going to share that information with our children. Um, we have a daughter and a son. They're both in their early 30s now. 
Um, and our son is in the military. He's been um, in the Army since 2002 um, and has done many deployments. And so how do you share that information with him? Because he's so far from home. And yet, you know, you have to, because right. even though it's slowly progressive for Tom, it doesn't mean that it will be tomorrow. So you have to be sure that you cover all your bases and you share it well with your children, that they understand that you're there for them. Um, and then Tom's mom had been not healthy at that time in her life. She was in her 80s and we chose not to share it with her. Yeah. Um, and, and that was a good decision. She never knew and she, um, she died a few years ago. And so she didn't have to experience the pain of knowing that. And I, I, I think if I, I would want to know, but then um, if it was my son, um, but maybe I wouldn't have in my 80s, whatever. It wasn't my decision to make it was Tom's. And I think in the end for his family, that was a really good decision. It's really difficult to tell family and friends because everybody is so sad. And then you're thinking, oh my gosh, I haven't even touch that myself and a really smart social worker told me one time when I shared that it was really hard for me to deal with people crying when they heard the news was um, to tell them to go find someone else to share it with. <laughs> I didn't have to hold everybody's grief and that, and that was really empowering for me because I have done that on occasion. Um, always here for our children. They can always share our grief, but Everybody else sort of has to go somewhere else to share it. Um, and I, I hold our grief pretty tight to me. Um, I don't widely share it. I, you can't live with it this long and always be sad. But I will say in 2015, I've now termed that the year of anger for myself. I think I was in a very prolonged year of the anger stage of grief. And really, God bless Tom. He um, listened to it all every day and he's still with me <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he's going anywhere i'm sure he's think he's very lucky to be with you right now absolutely yeah you know it, you you're right about um the grief and i, I think it's interesting I, can you talk more about when you talk to friends um because friends sometimes can walk down a long journey like this with you, and other times you find that friends disappear. What has been your experience so far? Oh, so that that is definitely true, and um, I I think on that on that level we have. So Tom has one. You know, we have friends that have been friends with us for many many years. In fact, one he uh, Tom. Um, his name is Jim, and they've been friends since they were in second grade. And then they went in the Marine Corps together and started all kinds of trouble in the Marine Corps together. And they still are um, really tight today. And they've they've never left us as friends. Wonderful. Um, I, I think there are long. They live in New York, and they come down and see us um, a few times a year. You know, it's a big trip for them, but they they come down and um, just kind of hang out with us. Uh, which is great because people, that's some of the limitations that people don't understand about the disease. You, you can't do everything that you used to be able to do. You have to sort of manage your energy output so that you're not mm -hmm. exhausted at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that's a big thing for Tom. So it's, we kind of can't keep up with everybody and we really don't have the kind of friends that we used to. Um, I would say um, Facebook is a nice connection um, because you can be social on Facebook I, I miss the friends that I worked with. I used to um, 
teach in the classroom. I started teaching at the crazy age of 45 years old. <laughs> Good um, for you. High school, no less. <laughs> Talk about scary. That was pretty scary. I just mm-hmm. kept saying, oh, no, I know more than they do. I know I do. <laughs> um, I, I was what they call a lateral entry teacher. Um, and uh, I miss I miss being in the classroom. I teach online now, but I and it's, it's a little bit lonesome. I will say um, when I became a Dole fellow, uh, that, that helped to end, me, end my year of anger um, and introduced me to people in my life who understand better the limitations uh, that we deal with um, and some of the grief that we deal with. So I am the only fellow that grapples with ALS. Um, they, you know, they're really great supporters and there's always somebody to talk to, which I didn't have before. And I really appreciate um, Senator Dole for making that possible for us. I don't know where I would have gotten it from. It was probably part of my anger was that I was missing work. And you were isolated. Did you keep up with your photography? Oh, yeah, I, I became um, photography is respite for me. Um, in fact, I took a photograph of a whale the other day down here at Kerry Beach and that thrilled me. Um, so I do keep up with photography. I, um, we can talk a little bit more about this um, if you'd like to. When I think it looks like maybe a break is coming up. That um, You've got some time. Okay. That uh, Tom is a painter. Um, he wasn't always a painter. Um, he oil paints um, on canvas. And I photograph a lot of that. I photograph because he's fun. He's really interesting to watch as he paints and he's always figuring things out as he goes along. You can see his weakness in his hands um, when he can't open um, the lids to his oils or, you know, the things that the solutions that he uses, he's probably, he'd probably laugh at me for saying that because I should know the name of them. (laughs) Um, But he, he, he uses a knife when he paints and he, um, he really is that guy that improvises, he adapts and he overcomes. And some people would quit and they wouldn't paint anymore and he still continues to. And so I photograph a lot of that and I photograph him with his service dog, Maddie. Um, I use those photographs in a book that I recently published called Pause at Work, mm-hmm. where I share the story about Tom and Maddie and how they bond. And um, so I use my photography all the time. I've never given it up, and in fact, I probably love it more than ever. That's fantastic, because if you find something that gives you joy, and I love the way you described Tom's resilience and his perseverance, and yes, we're coming up on a short break, but let's talk after the break about how it brings out, ALS tends to bring out the best in people sometimes because they realize how precious life is. And I I love that you have found that you go to your photography for respite care. And you're also using it to celebrate Tom's resilience with his painting. And I don't think he minds that you don't know the names of the the paint jars. I don't know that name either. Justin, do you know that name? I don't. No, I I don't have that artistic bone. Um, But I'm, I'm thrilled with that. So let's talk about that after the break, because again, there's silver linings to having some of these conditions. And we will continue this after the break. We're listening with Mary Han Ward. We'll be right back. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages.
congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's baby and toddler instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Littman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's baby and toddler instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Don't cry, right? According to a recent Wall Street Journal article by Dennis Nishi, there's a stigma attached to turning on the waterworks at the office. 61% of men who reported crying at work cited personal reasons, an illness in the family, the death of a pet is the catalyst. While 58% of women said it was something that happened at work, being unfairly blamed or criticized, men are like mascara. They run at the first sign of hubaboo. That's another word for crying. What's the word for the fear of intense emotion? Zellophobia. Women may have a better excuse for crying than men, as females have higher levels of prolactin, which encourages the production of tears, making it easier to be known as a lacrimist or someone who cries at the drop of a hat. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We're continuing our discussion with Mary Han Ward about ALS in the military. And before the break, we were talking about the fact that there, there are some silver linings and the resilience of those with ALS and their family members is quite remarkable. Can you speak more about that community, Mary? Sure. I think it's, um, I've, I've, I've never met anybody in the community so far um, that does not seem to be uh, resilient, strong, courageous, supportive, including the caregivers, maybe especially the caregivers um, as you know, it's a really difficult disease to care for somebody with because, as, you know, eventually there's so much paralysis and there's so much work that needs to be done. Um, but they, they seem to be a pretty supportive group of people. Um, there's a, um, I don't, I mean, I don't really know him. I read his Facebook page, Jay Smith. It's called Every 90 Minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and every he that's his hashtag because every 90 minutes somebody is diagnosed with or dies from ALS um, and it's it's a good way for people to think about it the impact mm-hmm. of the disease because um, you know there's varying statistics on how many people have it at any given time so so one of the statistics that I'm familiar with is at any given time about 4,500 veterans have died, have, have ALS, currently have ALS. Mm-hmm. Um, and at any given time, there's, there's varying numbers as to whether it's, you know, 6,000 people or 30,000 people that have ALS. There's a registry, the ALS registry that's out there. And, um, 
they, they kind of gather those numbers. But of course, what impacts us is the 4,500 veterans um, that have it. And, I, and I've not met any veteran who has ALS or their caregiver um, that isn't as, as strong as nails. They are inspirational for me all of mm-hmm. the time. What they do for each other, what we do for each other. Um, we help countless people, um, including me. Um, I don't know how many people I've helped in terms of um, accessing benefits and things like that. Um, and I know many of them that do, and they don't hesitate to. And in fact, an interesting story, we met um, uh, a veteran, his name is Charlie. I don't know, I don't know what his real name is. <laughs> his name is Charlie. I know <laughs> called ALS Forums, ALSforums.com. There's a lot of information there for mm. anybody who's grappling with the disease or thinking about the diagnosis. And Charlie was a Marine um, in Vietnam in the sixties. And we met him there and he was on online and he was coming to, uh, see Dr. Bedlack at the Durham VA, uh, long distance. He was coming from West Virginia and he wanted to come to the beach here. So we met him at the beach. Um, and he is one of the most wonderful people that you would ever want to meet him and his wife. Um, he is the very definition of resiliency. Mm. Well, that's interesting, and it's, it's great to hear that the community exists for civilians and for veterans, and that there is so much support in the community. Uh, I'm not surprised, but it's also great to hear. Mm-hmm. Mary, we, we mentioned already that, um, very quickly, I think Linda mentioned it, that ALS is a presumptive condition with the VA. So can you talk about what that means for our listeners? Sure. So present, presumptive is like um, if they're familiar with the Agent Orange connection, that's also presumptive. There are not many presumptive conditions in the VA, and ALS is one of them. It became presumptive in 2008, and that was um, based on a study that was done that went back to at least World War II, um, where they studied the frequency of ALS, the incidences of ALS, Mm-hmm. Um, in, in the veteran population. And it was mostly the Gulf War veterans that really fought for it. And yeah. um, I think it would be fair to say that they have all passed away and we are forever grateful for the fight that they put up for it to be presumptive. And so presumptive means um, specifically that you don't have to, a veteran does not have to prove the time at which they would have gotten ALS in their service. It's presumed that because you served and you have ALS, you will be compensated for that. Yeah, the condition is due to your, or you incurred it while you're in military service, right? And then therefore, the the um, paperwork and proof you have to provide to the VA for your benefits is, is very low standard. Exactly, and in our situation, because um, Dr. Bedlack, you know, wears two hats, the Duke ALS Center and the Durham VA, yeah. he um, worked closely, he works closely with the PVA, the Paralyzed Veterans Association. Mm-hmm. And the day after Tom received his diagnosis, he called me on the phone and said, you probably should call the PVA um, in Winston-Salem and get the ball rolling. And I did, and I'm forever grateful to the PVA. Yeah. Um, they continue to help me even today. Um, there's many, many, many things that you have to think about with ALS. And sometimes um, I get stuck. <laughs> Understandable. I, I, like, I just don't know. You know, we had, we, for the most part, the VA, VA has been uh, really good to Tom. 
And we and we do know that in the end we'll get everything he needs. And and at, there are times when we have to. I struggle with getting um, equipment or something that he needs. But in the end, we get it. And the PVA will um, has been there to help me when I've when I've hit a brick wall. Well, Mary, what what are some of the things that the VA once you establish that you you know, like with Tom's case, he has ALS, it's presumptive, so that means the VA is going to support you. What are some of the ways that they do support you? You mentioned gear. Um, what, what, what do they provide for you and other folks at ALS? So, right, so now when a, a veteran, um, when they're approved for benefits with ALS, they'll go, uh, they get 100% compensation, unemployability. So, mm -hmm. um, with that unemployability rating, um, you know, come other things like the chapter 35 education benefits for the dependents, sure. um, the CHAMP VA, which is very much like TRICARE for the dependents, but specifically for, um, the veteran with ALS, special monthly compensation is added on as the loss of use of limbs occur. And in ALS, they do look at it a little bit differently. So you don't, um, it doesn't necessarily have to be like a leg that you have a loss of use of. They understand that there's a core strength issue um, involved. So special monthly compensation will be increased above the 100%. Um, a power wheelchair, um, a Hoya lift. I have an elect electric Hoya lift in case he falls so Good. that I'm able to get him up off the floor. And then if he's not walking anymore, I'm able to get him from the bed to the wheelchair to the shower. Mm -hmm. um, they granted Tom um, specially adaptive uh, housing grants. So that wow. at, this, at this point, that is, and that's immediate now. When a veteran has ALS, um, it's a they get 100% compensation, and right. they are immediately approved for um, a specially adaptive vehicle, and that grant is $20,000. Plus, the VA will also um, install or pay for the installation of a ramp. Mm -hmm. um, in the van, so the conversion, um, and they will do that um, twice in every four-year period. Um, and the Specially Adaptive Housing Grant is up to about $77,000 at this point. And well, that can be used three times for a total of $77,000. And with that comes a veteran's mortgage life insurance, um, where the mortgage can be paid up off up to $200,000 when the veteran dies. Um, and those are all really highly important things to know yeah. in this particular mm -hmm. population because we really have to start planning um, that financial plan for now and for later are really important. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, that's a great news story about the VA. So good to hear all of that support is there. And of course, the PVA is a good resource too. But mm -hmm. you're right, the financial planning, because as you said earlier, you don't know the exact timeline. You have an idea perhaps, but you know, it, it's a moving target, so to speak. It is. And, um, and, I, and also, um, in terms of Social Security disability, which is, of course, not a VA benefit, but it is important to note that um, a diagnosis of ALS, there'll be no waiting period for Social Security disability. And that's something that the ALS Association advocated for uh, very strongly for a number of years. So um, that's in place, and that's important. And the veteran and his family will probably have a lot of money coming in monthly, and it's really important for them to save it because they, they won't get all that when their veteran passes away. They'll, they'll get um, 
DIC, the um, dependency indemnity compensation, and it's significantly right. less. So what, a lot of financial planning needs to go into this disease. Like when we say it's catastrophic, we mean like on all levels. It's physically catastrophic, emotionally and financially. And um, the better you can plan, the better you will be toward the end. I imagine the PVA caseworkers kind of have a, a template that they go down a checklist to make sure that all your bases are covered with this stuff. Yeah, the PVA or the VA? Yeah. Well, I said PVA. I imagine VA does too, but PVA may be even more expensive. The PVA is much better at that. The VA hasn't quite caught up to all the needs of this population with ALS yet. We're working on it, and I'm, I ho I'm hoping that we see that um, in the next year or so. But the PVA absolutely um, does. They have... Um, they're very supportive, and they and in fact, Tom's PVA um, officer contacts him every year, or and and sometimes twice a year to see if he needs anything or he needs any help. Um, and as a Dole fellow, I've been able to open a couple more doors, so I've gotten some more information about home health aids and things like that, because that's that's very difficult to uncover in the VA. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you're a good advocate then. Oh, she doesn't miss a trick. She's got this all done. And it, and it is such a, a pervasive disease that you're right about the financial planning. And I think that information alone is so valuable to our listeners because it with ALS, you try and live in the moment for what you have currently, but you must plan for the forward um, condition and, and where you're going from there. So Mary, that was extremely valuable. And as Justin said, I'm glad that the VA and especially the PVA did that. I am especially um, impressed with both the outreach, outreach that Dr. Bedlack did independently, as well as PVA. That is remarkably supportive at a very difficult time. And so often the caregiver has to go find that help. And in this case, both people called you and reached out first, which I think is very, very impressive on both organizations and individuals. So that's tremendous. We're going on a short break. And afterward, let's talk about timing, um, the emotional impact and the future outlook and where you go from a daily basis to the long-term basis and, and how you manage each day as you go, enjoying what you have today. And thank you so much. We are listening to Mary Han Ward and Military Network Radio. We'll be right back. Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. It's marching By the time this show is over, you'll blink at least 30 times. The average person normally blinks about 20 times per minute or 17,000 times a day. A faster rate usually indicates anxiety or emotional stress. What's the word for someone who blinks a lot? A squint of FIGO. FBI agents have identified a specific type of blink that they directly associate with gamma stain. That's a person who tends toward deception and fraud. Attorneys, also known as pedophoggers, look for blinking when they have people on the stand. The eyelash flutter means they really do not like the question at all. Women blink more than men, but when a man blinks at a woman, he always appreciates a wink back. 
What's another word for flirting? Hazoku. It's flirting. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Julie Brain Lady Anderson is considered to be one of the nation's top experts on the brain personality connection. And now every week she's here to share her knowledge with you. When you learn to tap into the potential of your natural gifts and the power of the brain mind connection, the sky is never the limit. As a matter of fact, there is no limit. Tune in to Brain Lady Speaks with Julie Brain Lady Anderson, Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Lessons in Joyful Living Radio Network. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We're continuing with Mary Hahn Ward about ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. I love that last segment where you covered all of the benefits that are available from the VA and PVA. That was extremely helpful to those who are in the audience that may have need of that information. Let's go to um, how does your lifestyle look today? How do you live in the moment? And what's the future outlook? Where, where are you, Mary? Okay, so um, I did share earlier that I was a teacher in the classroom um, from 2005 to 2012. And we, you know, so we had those two years that we were figuring out what to do with this diagnosis and how we were going to live. We lived in Durham, North Carolina, a very big house. The master bedroom was upstairs. Um, It was a big mortgage. It was going to be a lot for me to chew off when I was by myself. So we decided, um, let's see what we can do to make those changes. And I worked toward um, getting a position to teach online. So I do that now. I'm, um, I teach For the North Carolina Virtual Public School, I teach AP Government and Politics to about 78 students currently. It's a year-long course, so I I put a few hours in a day of that. Um, It's, you know, you don't know that that's going to happen, but that's that's what I work toward. And I was lucky enough to be hired, and um, I've been doing that for four years. Um, And we, at the same time, in 2012, we decided to sell our house um, in a terrible housing market in Durham, but we, we didn't care. It was time to go. We both were raised on Long Island. Uh, we loved the beach, so we decided to come down to Wilmington to um, have a house built with something that I could live in um, after um, after Tom is gone from ALS, after he dies, and that the kid, my children would not have to worry about me, and I could be comfortable here, and we have a master bedroom down, and then we use especially adaptive housing benefits to help improve the bathroom and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so our days now are that I teach online. We go to the beach a lot and Tom will paint there or he paints in the backyard. Um, we travel some help our wounded recently help Tom get a really neat power wheelchair that is only 55 pounds and it folds mm-hmm. over. Um, so kind of like a stroller and we can, it's TSA approved. And so we traveled recently to Florida with that and it was fabulous. Um, so it opens up the door for maybe a couple more years of travel. Tom is not a guy who has a bucket list, but um, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I've asked him to um, entertain me with my bucket list. And so Bar Harbor is on my list of things I want to do. And uh, so that'll be a, a trip that we do in June when school lets out. Mm. I love it. I love it. And and that's part of the living in the moment and making the most of it. Do you find that that comes naturally to you both now? I think so. Um, Tom, I will have to say he 
is really a magnificent person. I don't think that I've ever seen him be really sad about this diagnosis. Not, not like me. I've been sadder than him. And he, um, he really is the strength for all of us in, in our family. For, for our grandson, he taught our grandson recently how his fingers don't work. He's only three years old. And um, he, he was really great about that. Um, so I think we, we love to spend time together. You know, like crazy after 36 years, we still can spend a lot of time together and, um, and wonder if we've still had enough time together. That's fantastic. Yeah, you know, I do tend to think that those who have the disease learn to accept it because it's inevitable. But the fact that they remain so mentally and emotionally strong for the family members has always been a marvel to me. And, and you just described it as well with Tom. And I have never met a, a um, person with the patient who, who they must give in at some point. But remarkably, they're the strongest people I've ever met. Yeah, he, he is. He is definitely our strength. He, um, he tells me worrying won't give me any more time back in my life. And I'm, I'm pretty sure he's, that's right. <laughs> um, he, you know, we've been through a number of deployments with our son who's an infantryman and that probably worried us or concerned us more even than ALS. Um, because as you well know, and Justin, you obviously know how yeah. difficult deployments are. Um, and so that's probably been our bigger challenge, I think, as a couple, because we worry about that. You know, we've, we've worried when he's deployed. He's not deployed now. He's in drill sergeant school starting tomorrow, I believe. So uh, we're kind of pleased with that. Um, but he definitely, Tom is definitely the rock. His kind of, somebody asked him one time, um, did he wonder why it was him? Like, why do I get this? And he said, no. I never worry about that. We all have to have something, and this is what I have. Has he ever? Has Tom ever been on a panel, Mary, like you were with the Dole Foundation, to educate people, uh, even other caregivers? You know, no, and that's um, he always says, "You're the one who talks to people." <laughs> like this. I don't know if it's because I was in a classroom. Um, so it comes a little bit easier to me. Yeah. I, I don't know that he's never been asked either to speak about it. Um, so I'd, I'd have to, I don't know that he would say no. I'm not sure what he would say. We'd, we would just have to ask him. He's, um, he's most certainly an optimistic man. I would, I would, well, it certainly sounds like it. I, mm -hmm. and, and even if he's a man, a few words, it just seems to me that on a panel where all the attention isn't just on him, though, he could offer some great insights to caregivers or other folks at the earlier stages of ALS that would really be even life-changing for them or be very powerful uh, guidance for them. And so I, I, I hope that um, people are considering him at some point because he sounds like a perfect person for it. I think I agree with you, Justin. I think, you know, when Charlie came to visit us, um, he hadn't um, considered things like painting, right? Because who would think yeah, that? You're losing right. your limbs, right? Mm -hmm. Charlie's hands are a little contracted. And his daughter shared with her, the ALS has a uh, conference in Washington, D.C. every year in May. And um, Charlie, again, met us there with his one of his daughters and his wife. 
And um, his daughter told me on a, a side that Charlie started painting because Tom shared that that's what he's doing. And he's found it to be um, a really wonderful activity to do, you know, to engage in. Because it takes you really out of yourself because yeah. you're involved in doing something different like painting. When I was recovering from my injury, which uh, I'm not drawing a comparison between the two, but um, I, I, I learned how to play golf. And I was out there playing golf often by myself, but I was outside and, you know, pretty nature and just worry about a little white ball and not thinking about my next surgery or what life was like. And having a hobby that you like and, and as you just described, you can really get into and take you away from real life is so beneficial i think yeah and it gives you like for tom it gives them something to um to learn about because there's always something new to learn with painting um there's you know new paints or you know new styles he's mostly an impressionistic painter and his style has changed over the years because he doesn't have the dexterity that he used to have um he paints with a palette knife um and he, he he's painted with a trowel actually too which is really That's cool to watch that's incredible. Actually, really? I can't. I couldn't come close to doing that. <laughs> you, have to, you have to jump on my Facebook page, Justin, because okay. I share some of his paintings there. We sell some of them. We keep many of them. Um, and recently, one of the um, caregivers, young caregivers of a veteran with ALS, um, I, I put up on Facebook, This we'll sell this one, and just private message me. And done she's bought it and as soon as it's dry it'll be shipped to her and um i think you know that's that's really nice we try to follow each other and um be optimistic with each other and i, I think that tom shows that a lot when i buy his painting and um engaging in things other than worrying about als because you're not going to get anything back if you worry about als i love how the attitude is one of positive move forward, help others, um, and, and keep the supportive community going. I think that makes a huge difference. If you had something to share with others, would that be the message that would be your highest priority? Yes, I think, um, yes, the optimism, being supportive with each other, being there for each other, um, there's very little judgment in this world, right, in this ALS world, because mm -hmm. nobody knows how to do it, right? We only have, know how to do it for each other. There's no age, there's no stages with ALS. There's not a first, second, third, or fourth stage. Everybody progresses at their own, at their own rate. Mm -hmm. Different things happen to them, different choices they make in terms of their care. Um, one person might decide, yes, I want to be invasively ventilated. Um, like Steve Gleason, he's a, he's a good one. Um, to follow out there in the media. I don't know if you're familiar with Steve Gleason. Um, you could maybe look him up later on after the show. Uh -huh. Sure. Um, and he, him and his wife have chosen different paths and, and we don't judge each other. It's, um, we support each other. Oh, you decided you wanted to be invasively ventilated? Okay, let me see, if you're a veteran, let me see if I can help you find the home care, the home health care that you need. You don't want to be invasively ventilated? Okay, I'm there for you too. And if you just need to cry, you can go ahead and cry. I don't have any answers for anybody when they cry, right? And nobody has them for me, but we can be supportive of each other and not judge each other. That is so important. And, and I love the way that you have described that. The lifestyle changes, they come, but you're accepting them as gracefully as possible. And with this community helping one another, one has to believe that they will eventually find 
the the clues to this disease and 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 fixing it what do you picture as the future outlook both for yourself and and for the disease itself um so i i don't know that we're going to see a cure in tom's lifetime and maybe in my lifetime i don't know that we'll see one in tom's maybe we'll see um a viable treatment that would be really good i think any one of us in this community would love a treatment Mm-hmm. I think you have to know why we have why we get ALS, what happens to our bodies that um, the unraveling begins. That's 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 how I think of ALS, sort of mm-hmm. like it unravels. And um, so if we can figure that out, that would be great. Just knowing that would be good. And then uh, treatment and cure is how we think about it in the ALS community. I know there are really smart, dedicated, motivated people working all day, every day to fix this. And, mm-hmm. uh, I think one of the big fixes, I think one of the big things they need help with is money. So the more money we can have for research, the better. Mary, thank you so much for sharing so much about you and Tom, your life and this condition, how it affects you from the VA standpoint and the help that you've gained there. And if people want more information on the ALS Association, their website is alsa.org. And this kind of information is so valuable. As you're in the community and if you see someone who may have a neuromuscular disease, a degenerative disease, you don't know what's wrong, keep in mind that those who are taking care of them are really doing this out of love, out of care, but their lives could use a smile. And as Mary just told us, the optimism and support that is given versus the sadness that is given is also very helpful. Thank you for listening to us today. We'll be back next week with another show. Thank you for tuning in today to Military Network Radio. You can find our show at our website, www.toginet.com forward slash Military Network Radio. Also, www.militarynetworkradio.com. And in iTunes under Military Network Radio. Join us next week when we bring you another frame to enhance your 